through your word, help us to gain some insights into how we can more live in a way that fits with who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as we continue our study through 1 Corinthians. We'll be finishing up chapter 10, Lord willing, this morning. This passage to me is one of the most practical passages in the Bible. As Paul wraps up this summary, he was addressing a lot of issues with them about oh, what you should do and what you shouldn't do and things like that. And very helpful advice concerning ethics and decisions. But as he winds up this discussion and then shifts gears going into the next chapter, there are so many things that are really just principles for how to do life, really important insights. I think so many of the problems that we have in life, we wouldn't have if we would just do what Paul is talking about here in these last 10 or 11 verses of of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He talks about, you know, everything being lawful. He's talking about freedom. And we hear that when we become Christians that God sets us free. Jesus said, I came to set you free. Before you're in relationship with the Lord, you're a slave to all sorts of things. But Jesus said, whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. But how we learn to handle our freedom means everything in terms of whether or not life works out the way it's designed to be lived. And learning to handle freedom is not always easy for us. Often for us and and in our flesh because of our sin, whenever we have the freedom to do something, we think it means that we need to do it. We think that you always have to drive the speed limit or better. I feel like somehow if I'm driving less than the speed limit, something's really wrong. You know, you get, it's a 45 mile an hour speed limit if there's somebody in front of you driving 41. And you feel like, come on, man, what's wrong with you? Well, the limit isn't a minimum. It's supposed to be a maximum. But what we want to know is, okay, If it says 65, they give you an extra five, right? So you can really do 70. We want to know how close we can get or how far we can exceed the limits. That's just the way our flesh works. And so we are looking for, in our liberty, we're looking for permission to see what we can get away with. But living your life like that will just wear you out. It will ultimately isolate you as well. So Paul here, talking about his liberty, just gives some great advice. And so we'll begin with verse 23, and we'll just work our way through this passage. He starts out, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. He gives two sort of categories in which he says, here are some things that limit what I do when it's not my liberty that's limiting what I do. He goes, yeah, I'm free to do whatever. I've been delivered from the law and God has set me free. And that's true for all of us. You know, you realize as a Christian, you've given your life to Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you do that will cause God to love you any less. 
There's nothing that you can do to make him love you more either. He loves you completely. There isn't any sin that you're going to commit that's going to cause God to turn his back on you because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we are truly free. But what do you do with that? Paul goes, I can do anything, and it's not going to jeopardize my relationship with God. But, he said, just because everything's lawful for me doesn't mean I do everything that I am allowed or permitted to do. Because, as he says here, first of all, not all things are helpful. The word there for helpful is the word, the Greek word sum pharaoh. The word pharaoh means to carry something, to bear a load, and sum means, as we say, the sum of all things is everything together, so it means together. So sum pharaoh means literally to bear with. Now, the idea of the word, there are some translations that translate it prophet or things like that, and that's not too bad, but really the whole idea is there are certain things that you do because they fit. There are certain things that you do because they're just appropriate. They work out better. If you're going to get along with other people, there are certain adjustments that you make to your liberty if you really want to fit in with other people. And that's what he's saying here. Hey, I can do whatever I want. But at the same time, I, I look at what works and what fits and what is considerate of others. You know, I know, I don't know what it's like to be a single girl, but I know what it's like to be a single guy. And when I was single and living on my own, man, I did have some liberties that, in a way, I don't take those liberties today. Now, I lived like a pig, basically. Now, I could still do that. I could still have the back of my car full with junk food wrappers. I could still, wherever I take my clothes off, that's just where they stay. I could still buy whatever I want and just pile it up all over my house. But I've learned that getting along with my wife, it's much better if I make some adjustments to my liberty. And so, and don't get me wrong, now I've formed habits. When I take my clothes off, I put them in the basket in my closet. I, she's trained me well. Now, <laughs> the truth is, though, I'm an adult. I could do whatever I want. If I wanted to, I could just throw my clothes in the floor. But you know what? I really don't want to pay the price of that. I don't want to pay the price of liberty, I remember what it was like living by myself. And so I have accommodated certain elements of my liberty because I'd much rather be with someone than to be free and alone. And if you're alone, you know. It's like it's not all it's cracked up to be. Boy, I can do anything I want tonight. Is that really what you want? Is that really so good? And so Paul said, I compromise in a way some of what I could do because there are certain things I need to do in order to profit or to get along or to fit in. I know people who just insist on not doing that. I have a, I have a friend who he's desired to be married forever, and he's never been married, and he's getting up in age now, but we used to talk to him and go, you know, if you would just change a few things, if you would maybe indulge in a little grooming and, a, you know, I mean, have a, buy a car, get a place to live and think, you know, it, it might help. 
And he was just so stubborn. He goes, I don't want to get married until I find someone who will accept me the way I am. She doesn't exist. <laughs> and not for any of us. There's nothing against him. It's, that's true for all of us. When we were talking earlier in 1 Corinthians about marriage, I said, you can sit and argue about what's right and wrong, but the bottom line is if you want to stay married, you need to treat a woman in such a way that she wants to stay with you. Now, plenty of guys take the approach of going, you know, nope, I'm going to be the way I am, and if she doesn't want to stay, that's fine, and I'm going to tell everybody. She left me and didn't have biblical grounds, and she divorced me without biblical And it's like, okay, congratulations, you're right, she's wrong, but you're alone. And so at some point, it's like, okay, wise up and realize, sometimes, you, though you have liberty, things will go much better for you if you think about what can I bear with others? How can I fit in? What is appropriate? What will make me not repulsive to other people? And make some adjustments in your liberty for that. And so that's what Paul's saying. He goes, hey, I'm free. Everything's lawful for me. But I've realized there are some things that just people won't put up with. Isn't too bad of a translation for Sum Pharaoh. But he also says, all things are lawful for me but not all things edify. The word edify means to be built up. Now, this works in two senses. What is it that builds me up, and what is it that allows me to build up other people? I have a choice with my life. I can be the kind of person who makes other people feel better, who encourages them, who makes them better people, who lifts them up and cheers them up, or I can decide that I just tear people down. There are some people who can brighten up a room just by entering. Other people I know can brighten up a room just by leaving. And <laughs> I decide, which way do I want to live? What do I want to be like? Paul goes, I can be stubborn and say, there's nothing technically wrong with what I'm doing. Hey, where'd everybody go? Or I can go, you know, I want to be the kind of person that people want to be around because when I talk to them, I, I build them up. I encourage them. I lift them up and bring positive things into their lives. You know people who, every time you talk to them, it just seems to sap the energy out of you. They just discourage you. Everything is all about what's wrong. Now, you can listen to that all you want, if you want. Or you can realize... This isn't working. You know, when you tell me how bad the world is, you're not really feeling any better, but I'm feeling a whole lot worse. So it doesn't make sense for me to, you know, spend time allowing you to tear me down. Now, you know, but it's my family. Yeah, there's a certain amount of this that you put up with for family, but it's an exception. But take it in small doses is what Paul, I think, figured out. But then more than that, what, what impact am I having on others? How do I affect others? Am I bringing them down? Am I discouraging them? Or am I building them up? I don't have to. I don't need to say things that make other people feel better. I can tell you all the bad things that are happening in the world. Hey, I've got a long list if you want to listen. But you probably don't want to listen. And that's the point. So I don't have to do that. I don't need to bring other people down. I can build other people up. But it's my choice. 
my choice ultimately and my freedom to either choose to use my liberty to lift others up or to choose to use it to tear others down, to choose to submit myself and to associate with activities and people that will make me feel better and lift me up or to allow myself to be in an environment that will bring me down. It affects an awful lot of the behavior that we do. I don't feel that it's a sin for me to go to the movies. I don't, don't, oh, I can't go. That's something that a Christian shouldn't do is go to the movies. And probably, in a lot of ways, I could see most movies out there and really not be violating some explicit scriptural prohibition of what I'm not supposed to do. Actually, as a police chaplain, I can go to the movies for free. I am completely free to go and take anyone I want with me and go see any movie that I want to see. But you know what? Almost never go to the movies. It just doesn't happen. Why? Because just because I can do it doesn't mean that I'm going to feel good from it or that other people are going to feel good because I took them to it. I've had so many occasions of you know, watching a movie that everyone says is a great movie, and, but afterwards, I just feel so lousy walking back to my car just going, why did I just spend two hours watching that? Or that really didn't encourage me. Now, once in a while, there's a movie that really does edify, that really does build up. Now, different people are edified by different things. So a movie that makes me feel good might not make you feel good. But the point is, is my life going to be an environment whereby it's okay to tear down? Or am I looking and expecting God to work in my life in such a way that I lift up others and the things that I choose to do with my liberty are actually things that cause me to feel better? There are some people who work jobs that are really unedifying. They hate their job. They're miserable in it. They can't stand every second of it, but they still do it. And that's something, if you want to work that job, that's fine. If that's your idea of a way to spend your life, but how edifying is it? How edifying are you when you are doing that particular job? It affects every area of life, really, this whole idea of edification. So Paul's point is, don't just think about what's okay for you to do, but ask yourself, is this something that fits with others? Is this something that's profitable? Is it something that, as our translation says, is helpful? Is this really getting you anywhere? Is this working for you, in other words? And then, is it edifying? Are you made better by it? Are you making other people better by it? Or are you making the world an uglier place just by being in it? And so he goes, those are a couple of things that I use as limitations on my freedom. Now he gets in a little deeper in verse 24, and he says, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being is provided by the translators. It's not really in the original. So he says, here's the basic principle. When it comes to edification, when it comes to bearing with others, think about this. Don't just think about what it does for you. Think about what you are able to do for others, the effect that you are having on others. And this is a great principle. Don't just think of you, think of others. 
Now, this is something that's as central to being a Christian as anything could ever be. Paul, over in Philippians chapter 2, says this same thing. He says, don't look out for your own self-interest. Look also for others. And then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was God, he didn't hang on to that, but he emptied himself. He took upon himself the form of a servant, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. He goes, do what Jesus did. Quit making it all about you. And this is kind of his point. And this is a principle that if we don't learn it, we will never experience life the way God wants us to. And we'll never have a positive impact on people around us. It's not about you. Quit being a baby. You know, babies think that it's all about them. They only think of themselves because that's all they know. Last night at the Christmas potluck, I got a couple of turns at holding babies. And I love doing that. It's, it's really special. But, you know, as always, when you hold a baby after a while, it's fine as long as it's good for them. But they really don't want you to hold them if you don't have what they want. And so, as a, you know, I see them start to do this, and it's like, there's nothing that I do. Now, you would think the baby ought to be, in a perfect world, the baby would be thinking, Man, I'm hungry right now, and I feel like crying. I really do, but, you know, Pastor Dave, I'll make him look really bad if he's holding me and I'm crying, and people think, man, you, the kids must have discernment. They don't, you don't know how to handle a baby. You forget. But So I can't. So I'm just going to suck it up and sit here and look cute and coo and pretend like I really like Dave, and eventually they'll pass me back to my mom, and she'll get engorged, and I'll get fed, and it'll be fine. You know, It's like, babies don't think that way. They're just like, no, it's me, it's me, it's all about me. Now, when you grow up, you're supposed to learn it's not about you. Actually, the best thing for you is to think of others and to put them first, to edify them and encourage them, but... You know, some people just refuse to grow up. And there's nothing more tragic than an individual adult who still thinks it's about them, who still is living in this selfish baby world in which everything matters as it affects how you affect me. You know, oh, I've talked about myself long enough. Why don't you talk about me for a while? You know people like that. It's, it's, it's isolating it ultimately ends up destroying your life if you don't learn to put others ahead. That's the irony. It doesn't work. It doesn't help. You end up being miserable. And I don't know if this is universal. There are people who struggle with depression for various reasons, and I understand it can sometimes be a really horrible problem. But for the most part, when people are depressed, it comes down to, it's all about me. I'm thinking of myself. Now, you can't tell them that. When someone comes to you and goes, I just feel so depressed, I don't even know if I want to live. I, you can't just go, wow, are you selfish? <laughs> because then they would go to somebody else and go, yeah, man, I was just on the edge, and, and all they had to say to me was that I'm selfish. Well, 
They were right, but you don't say that. So if you're one of these selfish, depressed people, we're probably not going to tell you that, except today. Get this tape and keep it with you. It applies, okay? But again, this is what we need to hear. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. When you do that, it just shows that you think it's about you, and it all being about you never works, ever. It'll never make you happy. It'll never cause you to be fulfilled. It'll never cause people to want to be around you. You'll never be able to do what God has even called you to do in life if it's all about you. Stop that selfishness. And that's what Paul goes, figure this out. Grow up and just put others ahead of you. Start to think about how you're affecting others. When you go to tell somebody what you're feeling so bummed about, Ask yourself, I'm feeling bad. Is this going to make them feel better? Usually the answer is no. So maybe you just keep it to yourself. Now there's a time to talk to somebody, and sometimes you know, we all need to dump. We all need to, and we have friends who, who are good listeners, and, and it's, it's nice when you have people that you can whine to. But understand this, if you do that too much, you'll start to wonder where they went. If you encourage people enough, and like there are some people who every time they talk to me, they just have great things to say. And every once in a while, if they say, you know, could I complain for a minute? Then I really want to listen to them. But there are other people who go, can I have a word with you? And I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> what now? And then they usually want to say things they've already said before. Keep, do you really want to be that kind of person? The people go, I've heard this a hundred times. Yeah, I know. Life stinks. Too bad. It's, Paul's going, come on. Don't think of yourself. It's not all about you. And the best way to learn that it's not about you is to just think of how you're affecting others. To just get involved in what's good for others. The amazing thing is if you start feeling sorry for yourself and instead of whining about it, you start to do something for someone else, it makes you feel better. Because life works best when love is reciprocated, when you're giving to others and they're giving to you. If everyone in life is as selfish as you are, and we're all just totally selfish, then no one's going to have their needs met. We'll all be islands to ourselves. Paul goes, don't just be thinking of you. In what it is that's sum pharaoh, that's fitting, in what it is that's edifying and building up, it's not about you. Make your life about others, and you'll go a long way toward having your own needs fulfilled as well. Now he goes on to say, gives kind of some practical um, stories. You know, he had been talking about the question of should you eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol or shouldn't you? And he comes back to that as his illustration. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. That verse 26, the earth is the Lord's in its fullness, is a quote from Psalm 24, verse 1. But it was the prayer that the Jews would pray before mealtime, that the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Now what he's saying here is, 
quit worrying about whether your meat was sacrificed to an idol or not. If somebody gives you meat, eat it. If you get meat at the store and the meat looks good, fine. There you go. Don't live your life all paranoid about, ooh, am I going to step on a crack and break my mother's back? Am I going to do something that somebody else gets bummed about? And, oh, no, what are people? Again, it comes back to selfishness. Are we worried about what people are thinking of us all the time? As somebody has said, you wouldn't worry so much about what people think of you if you realized how seldom they do think of you. (laughs) It's not about you. So don't be paranoid. Don't be living your life, ooh, I better check out and find out whether this meat has been sacrificed to an idol. He goes, don't worry about it. The earth is the Lord's and its fullness. You'll be fine. Just eat what's set before you. Don't make a big deal about it. A great reminder for us. I think sometimes, again, we lose our freedom because we become paranoid. We're so afraid Oh, what if I do something wrong? What if I do something that's a sin? And see, that's what our conscience is for. God will speak to you. He'll let you know if you're heading in a wrong direction. And the Bible says whatever isn't of faith is sin. So if you're feeling bad about something, don't do it. But if you're not feeling bad about it, don't worry about it. Don't be asking people, what do you think? Is this okay? I need, we need books with all the rules so I know what's okay for a Christian to do. And what. No, it's not legalism. You're free. All things are lawful. The earth is the Lord's in its fullness. Just eat what's set before you. Don't worry about it. Don't be constantly analyzing and evaluating all of your life decisions. Chill out a little bit. You're not that big of a deal. It's not that important. Quit evaluating yourself and letting other people evaluate you. So he says, when they give you meat, don't even ask. If you have to ask, don't do it. But don't even ask. Just eat it. It doesn't matter. Idols aren't real. You don't need to live your life in paranoia. A lot of us, when we become new Christians, got paranoid. And I I blame a lot of the older Christians at making that happen to us because they start to tell us all the rules. Can't do this, can't do that, you know, shouldn't do this, and maybe that's a problem, and that'll stumble, and that'll... And it's like, uh uh-oh, can I move? Can I breathe? Can I get up today? Is it... The earth is the Lord's. You're free, he reminds them. And if they serve you the meat, go ahead and eat it. However, he says, but, verse 28, if anyone says to you, Uh, this was offered to idols, then don't eat it. For the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. He said, now, if somebody you're about to eat and somebody goes, are you sure you ought to eat that? It was sacrificed to an idol, you know. Then they obviously have a hang-up about it. There's something that they're sensitive about. If they're going... Uh, Here, I got some meat, but I don't know if you as a Christian would want... Then he goes, for the sake of their conscience, don't eat it. Yeah, if if nobody says anything, eat it and don't worry about it. But if somebody's going to make a big deal about it, he says, then by all means, don't eat it. Because the earth is the Lord's in the fullness. In other words, there's plenty of other stuff to eat. Don't feel like I've got to do this because I'm free to do it. Now, he goes on to say... It's not your conscience, verse 29. Conscience, I say, not for your own, but that of the other. So out of consideration of others, sometimes their conscience can affect what we will do when we are with them. 
But he asked this rhetorical question there in the second half of verse 29. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? He goes, wait a minute. Why should I not do something because somebody else has a hang-up about it? I already believe meat is meat. It doesn't matter what it's been sacrificed to. If it's good, I want to eat it. And now he goes, and they might say, well, why should I let somebody else's hang-up affect me? I'm free to do everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness. So why should I be sensitive when somebody else is sensitive about it? Well, he answers with another question, verse 30. He says, but if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? See, the truth is, if you just bless it and eat it, you're going to be fine. But he goes, why am I going to give somebody an excuse to make a big deal about it? I don't need it. I can eat anything. But as a result, I don't have to eat everything. If it's going to cause a problem for somebody, I'll just like, Okay, fine, I don't need to eat it. It's okay if I eat it, but I don't need to eat it. Because in a way, he's saying, you know, it's just too much aggravation. If somebody's got a hang-up about it, and then I go make a big deal, and I go, I'm going to eat it anyway, and then they're going to go tell their friends, and their friends are going to, oh, do you know he's worshiping idols? He's eating meat sacrificed to idols. And, and if it's a big deal, he goes... Look, it's not that their conscience affects my conscience. It's nothing. It's not a sin for me to do it. But he goes, for the sake of making life easier, I don't need to. I don't want to start, you know, the rumor mill going with things like that. If they have a hang-up, I'll go along with what they're saying. Now, what does this have to do with us? Let me me give it to you in a way that, that I'm sure some of you can relate to. Let's say you go out to dinner with someone, maybe to the claim jumper. And after you eat, and boy, it was a good meal. They always, claim jumper always gives you good sized portions and everything. They bring around the dessert menu and they say, So, is anybody going to have that eight layer or whatever it is, chocolate cake? That just, ugh, that horrible, you know, just massive sugar and chocolate and, you know, do you want it? And the person who you're taking out to dinner says, oh man, I love that stuff. It's so great. You used to eat it all the time. But now I'm struggling with my weight. My blood pressure's high. My cholesterol's high. My blood sugar's high. The doctor told me if I eat this cake again, it's going to kill me. (laughs) So none for me, thanks. So you go, you know, I'm skinny. (laughs) Cholesterol's low. Blood sugars, sometimes I worry that it's too low. I have a metabolism that can handle this. So tell you what, I'll have two slices of it. One for me and one for you. And you can watch me eat it, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. How considerate would that be? How likely do you think that person is going to want to go out to dinner with you the next time? You're just, it's like, okay, look, if they can't handle it, you shouldn't handle it. I, I, my friend Jerry Hill, the other day, we were, hey, let's go get some lunch. So we go to, to BJ's down in Laguna Beach, and I'm ready to get the lunch special, a little pizza and a little salad. 
And I go, there, we're ready to order. And I go, what are you going to get? He goes, oh, I'm not eating. I'm just drinking these shakes because I'm trying to lose some weight because I'm going in for surgery next month. I'm like, oh, man, that pizza looks so good. And he goes, no, you go ahead and get it. I don't, I don't even like their pizza that much. But I'm like, I'll take a salad. I just got the salad. And it's like, and he, Jerry would have been fine with me eating the pizza. But there are certain things that are just like, you know, I don't know even know if I could enjoy eating it in front of you. It just, I'd feel guilty because maybe I shouldn't be eating the pizza either. That's the way it works. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. He's going, you know what? I could, I could do it. It's no big deal. But why should I then cause trouble with you because I ate something that I really shouldn't be eating, that you think I shouldn't be eating, or that you shouldn't eat yourself? Now, there are a whole lot of areas of life where there are things I don't do, even though I don't think it would be a sin for me to do it. But I, but I think that there are people who do think it's a sin, and it's just more aggravation for me to do it than not. When I teach, there are certain strong words that I might use that are very descriptive. And I might think that certain people don't like those words because they're just not spiritual enough. And they think it's totally okay to use another word that means exactly the same thing. And yet the more descriptive word is one that in a way would make the point much better. But if I use that word, even though I may feel like it wouldn't be a sin to use it, at the same time, I know that it would end up everybody be talking about, can you believe Dave said that? I had somebody the other day tell me, you know, one thing we always talk about every Sunday is each Sunday we know you'll say at least one thing that we go, I can't believe Dave said that. (laughs) It's like they're keeping score. I promise you it's not on purpose. Because I really don't want to be, there's a pastor up in Washington who he used to use real strong language in his messages. And, and then somebody wrote a book and in the book referred to this pastor, Mark Driscoll, as the cussing pastor. And so then he's known for that. It's like, I don't, now in my personal life, I don't cuss. I don't use, nobody's heard me using bad language. But, but, you know, I wouldn't want to be known as the guy that does that. That's not the point of what I'm trying to make across. So I go, you know, it's probably easier for me just not to use certain language. There are some movies that come out that I might want to go see, but they might have some bad words and some other things in them, and I just like, ugh. And then when it comes down to it, it's like, if I have to worry, if I'm in the theater, oh, man, I hope nobody sees me in here. It's just easier not to go. Why give people a reason to be saying things about you because they have hang-ups about something that you may not have a hang-up about. Now, I hesitate to use examples even because it will create the very problem that he's talking about. But let me just give you this one, and, and I know I'll regret it. But <laughs> So whoever it was that said you love, you can't believe I say certain things, here you go. Um, <laughs> For me personally, I wouldn't think it's a sin for me to go put a quarter in a slot machine. 
I don't see that it'd be any different really for me than to put a quarter in a video game machine and play it for, you know, 30 seconds or whatever, than to put money in a slot machine. Now, I know for some people it's a really bad idea. I know the environment's bad. I know that it, the money goes to the mafia and whatever. And I, and I know some people are addicted to gambling and it becomes a real problem for them. And so please don't, I know that. But I'm just telling you, for me, but you're not going to see me going and playing slot machines. I don't gamble. I don't like, oh, you know, for a family vacation, we're going to Vegas and, and uh, you know, playing some blackjack, and it'll be cool. I need to teach the kids how to count cards. And I, <laughs> I just don't do it. Because I know if I went and did it, I could feel a totally clear conscience. But then people are going to be writing letters to K-Wave going, there's a guy, I heard his voice, it's really distinct and obnoxious, and he was playing this slot machine, and I can't believe that K-Wave would conduct, and it's like, then their pressure to get me off the air, to defend me, and it's like, you know what, just too much aggravation. So I don't do it, you know, so our next, you know, church picnic is not going to be at Pachanga or something, it's just, <laughs> it's just might not be anything wrong with it, but it's just too much trouble. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, when I'm figuring out what I'm going to do, a part of it is just, you know what? I'm not going to, I have enough aggravation on my own. I'm not going to give people an excuse to be judging me. That's kind of what he's saying. All right, let's move on. <laughs> he goes, but if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? It might be okay with me, but I don't want to give people that ammunition. So verse 31, therefore, he goes, I'm coming down to the point. Here's the deal. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is what life comes down to. We are created to glorify God. And if we want to have a rule that governs our freedom, the rule is this. What brings glory to God? Can I do this and glorify God? Now, glorify God is a fancy word. I had a professor at Biola who said, glorifying God means making God look good. And I like that. And, and I borrowed it and used it ever since then. Because really, that's what it comes down to. Glorifying God means allowing people to see God for who he is. But who God is, he's amazingly good and loving and gracious and just and holy also. So what I do has an opportunity. Everything I do, whatever it is, eating, drinking, whatever, I can either cause people to think good things about God or I can cause people to think bad things about God based on how I live my life. And I was created to glorify God. I was put here to do that. That's the purpose of my life. And so what I really want to know is, not whether it's okay for me to do things, but is what I am doing glorifying to God. Can people come closer to understanding God and knowing Him by the way I live my life? Or do they see what I'm doing and it confuses them about God? Do they go... I heard you saying how loving God is, but you seem really uncaring. That's confusing to me. It seems like you, you're, you're one of his people. You work for him. But you're acting in a way that's different than, well, what you say God is and what I would expect God to be. Now, there are some times when people are just going to be disappointed in us because they're going to misunderstand us and jump to conclusions 
But our goal, our, our, our drive should be, man, I want people to see me and think good things about God. I, want, I don't want to embarrass God. I don't want to make him look bad. I don't want to be one of those people who people go, man, I wouldn't mind being a Christian, but all the Christians I know, I wouldn't want to be like them. I want to in every way, like Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the bottom line. Will they see who I am and what I am and want more of Jesus and want to know God more, want to have a relationship with him, be drawn to an intimacy with him? And if what I do doesn't facilitate that, then I'm going to choose not to do it, even though it might be fine for me to do it in terms of I might not be sinning. But it's not just about not sinning. It's about having my life bear fruit. And he goes on to say, look, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Whoever people are, don't step on their toes. Now, Paul offended people a lot. We always will because sometimes the truth will offend people. But the idea is, let's not go out of our way to be offensive. Let's, we want to glorify God. And so he says, just as I also please all men in all things, like he had said before, not seeking my own profit, the word there is sum pharaoh, the same word that's translated as helpful in verse 23, not seeking my own sum pharaoh, but the profit, the sum pharaoh of many, that they may be saved. He goes, I am trying to live my life in such a way I'll adjust my lifestyle. If somebody has a problem with meat and meat, I won't eat meat in front of them. I'll go home and eat meat. I can do it anytime, anywhere. The earth is the Lord's in its fullness. But I will adjust what I do in my freedom so that I don't stumble people, so that I don't offend people, so that I'm not someone who drives people away from me and thus driving them away from God. I want people to get saved. I want people to see. And that's when God is glorified the most, when people are saved. And that's why God wants to be glorified, so people will get saved. It feeds on itself. And so Paul says, that's just what I try to do. I don't want to get in somebody's way. I don't want to trip them up. I don't want to be the reason why they don't want to be Christians. Is because of the way I live my life, because of the way I exercise my freedom. Hey, I am so free. Paul would say, I'm flexible. I'll accommodate whatever it is that's going on, one way or the other. I don't care. I want people to know. What matters is that they know Jesus. What matters is that they can see God the way he is. And when that happens, people get saved, and I'm happy. And then Paul goes on in verse 1, which really chapter 11, verse 1, should be a part of chapter 10. They goofed up when they divided it because it wraps up this thought. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. The word there, imitate, is mimic in the Greek. It's like, he goes, copy the way I copy Jesus. Man, what a great thing to be able to say. Paul would say, watch how I deal with people, because I learned it from following Jesus. And if you do it the way I'm doing it, life will work better for you. God will be glorified. People will get saved. 
Could we say that about ourselves? I might say, imitate me right now. I'm doing pretty good right now. But don't imitate me 15 minutes ago. I was, I was getting a little off. Imitate me. I was pretty good last night. But tomorrow, I don't know. It's my day off. Don't imitate me. Paul goes, this is how I live. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm not selfish. It's not about me. I'm concerned about fitting with others, ministering to others, edifying others. I will accommodate myself to them. I use my freedom in that way to be a help to others. And, hey, I'm flexible. I just want people to get saved. I just want God to be glorified. The amazing truth is, really, the most selfish thing you could do is to live life this way. Because ultimately, when God's glorified, we're glorified too. We are a blessing to others, and and we get blessed. Remember, that's what in Philippians 2, when it said that Jesus emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a servant, ultimately died, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't worry about you. God will take care of you when you glorify him. It starts with putting other people first. It's not about you, but it's also not really about them. It's ultimately about him. And when he is glorified, you'll be blessed. People around you will be blessed. And life just clicks. It works. And you get in that zone of going, this is what it's supposed to feel like. This is great. This is amazing. The result of that awareness is you're more of a blessing to others. You edify others more. You grow more in your ability to attract other people to Jesus, to see God's glory. That's the life that Paul lived. That's the life that he's laying out there for us. It's what he wants for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this practical help. We're really bad at this. You know, God, you designed us. Ever since the fall, it's all about us. But God, teach us this lesson. Help us to get the flexibility that comes from freedom, not to feel like slaves, but to enjoy serving others, to be blessed by being able to accommodate others so that you can be glorified, so that people can be saved. Help us to do it like Paul did, who did it like Jesus did. Lord, teach us to live our lives this way. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.